Video. It's the only way to get what you want to watch when you want to watch it. Always. Hello, my name is Justin the Clue, and I'm here today with Mark Hansen. And you're listening to the Bay Street Video Podcast, where you go through all this week's notable Blu-rays and DVDs. And first up, big list this week, huh? Finally, <laughs> finally, RoboCop is coming to Blu-ray 4K. Okay, Justin, why why did you start the list off with this? You never you never do these 4K repackages. Because here. I think it's so funny that there was such a big hubbub of RoboCop coming out on Blu-ray in like multiple special editions. Like only three years ago, let us remind audiences. Did I Arrow? I feel like it was. It feels like a year ago, to be honest, that it came. You out. know, I was try. I was actually looking back. Like, when did this actually come out? Because we were doing this was pre-pandemic. We were doing the podcast because we talked about this release on the podcast. It was that recent. And it was, yeah, the summer of 2019. So uh, three years is pretty long, I guess. But now it's here in 4K. I mean, I guess it's less time than it took for the American Werewolf in London release to go from Blu-ray to 4K. <laughs> I can't believe there's another 4K. But yeah, the funny thing about these is like, it's literally the exact same packages that came out before. They just like no new special features, nothing else. They've just what slapped the 4K thing on the What if it came out, they're like, it's 4K. The and Arrow's like, it's not really 4K, but you know, we're happy that they think it is well that's the thing i feel like they could easily just put the same disc yeah. in there and nobody would yeah. know They're like, nobody oh, would know. Crazy. <laughs> it's crazy so like you know when these things come out i'm always like we sold like we sold so many like upwards of a hundred of this on blu-ray when it first and came how out. many did you sell this 4k edition tons we sold out like so <laughs> You know what? And the same people bought it, too. And the same people bought it. So I'm like, when I'm ordering these, I'm like, ah, it came out so recently. We sold so many. Like, how many? And it was already such a great transfer. How many people are going to upgrade? Everybody wants to upgrade. Uh, RoboCop, though, is one of those evergreen movies. Like, it's people's favorite film. So I can understand them rebooting. How many copies of Phenomena 4K did you sell? A lot. Oh, my God. Maybe not as many as RoboCop, though. <laughs> and Phenomena, at least, was a different package. So. Wasn't that one of those, hey, you got to sell uh, your soul to buy it because it's like $100 in the tin. <laughs> yeah, that. Well, the Phenomena thing is supposed to be extremely limited edition. So I don't know we still have a ton but apparently we might not be getting any more so if you haven't got that and you want to jump on it robocop you need it in 4k i mean i will admit i myself have bought robocop multiple times throughout the years including the last arrow edition i think i was good after i got the blu-ray that had all the criterion special editions it had all the other stuff that came out as well and i do own the shout factory robocop 2 and 3 special editions because of course i'm going to own those but yeah no i think you know i bought the blu-ray arrow release and that that i think is where i'm gonna stop but before that you know i had the regular blu-ray i had it on dvd i had it on vhs so yeah, I get that there's an urge to rebuy this stuff, but uh, when it's so soon after the Blu-ray and it's just an identical package, and I mean, I don't even have a 4K TV because no one will buy us 4K TVs, so not yet. The offer is still open. What will we give people if they get us a 4K TV? Both of us, not just one. We don't live together. Just well, hey, if if we get them, I will, I will review these 4K discs in depth. I will look at all the clarity and we, we can go through all those details if we you want. We will thank the person who gives it to us. <laughs> A heartful thanks. But in the meantime, we're just here to make fun of how fast all these movies come out on 4K right after their Blu-ray My pal, Will Sloan, a couple months ago betrayed us and he got a 4K television. (sighs) 
<laughs> and he's like, I could tell a little difference. And it's like, you can only tell because you bought it. Yeah, I know, right? You can't tell the difference. Nobody can. Nobody can. People who have 4K televisions are like throwing over their podcast player at this point. Why do they always make fun know, of it? I know. It's beautiful. <laughs> no hate. No hate on 4K, you know. It's just fun to make fun of. You know, they spend a lot of money at the store because 4K is <laughs> yeah, huge. We love you. So please keep buying 4K discs. It's all in good fun. Mark loves the juicy commission he makes <laughs> yeah. on all those 4K oh, sales. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in case people don't know, Mark makes no commission. No commission. Yeah, that, that's a lie. So moving onward, we have going from 4K to VHS on Blu-ray. So we have J.R. Bookwalter's Kingdom of the Vampire. Now, this is interesting because this is part of six movies that J.R. Bookwalter made in the early 90s for producer David Dakota. And each film, which I believe he shot in like six months or something like that, the budgets would get smaller and smaller. Yeah, right? It was like one a month. <laughs> from like $3,000. And then it kept being halved until I think the last one was made for $500. <laughs> because nice. the gimmick was David Dakota would sell a distributor a title and a poster and so uh, J.R. Bookwalter had to deliver within the timelines of when these movies were supposed to release, which is absolutely bananas. Oh, I yeah. don't know why anyone would agree to do this. And it reached the point that the last one, Humanoids from the Deep, is less than an hour and ends with the actor going, all right, I'm not doing this anymore. You shoot your own movie, J.R. And it, like a meta stop. See, I love that, though. You know, it just peters out gradually. Like, it's so ambitious at first. So ambitious. Now, this series was originally released in an amazing lunchbox-style set. Oh, yeah. Directly from makeflix.com. Called the Six-Pack six SOV collection or something it was yes. like in a beer uh, beer pack uh, very uh, difficult to open it will rip at some point i have it on my shelf i shamefully missed out on this i remember when you were getting it and you were telling me and i was like it was on sale i think for like 50 bucks off around like christmas and i was like i was asking you should i go for it i hadn't seen any of these films and you're like yeah you should and i'm like okay okay maybe i'll hold off a couple days and then it was all sold out and i missed but it. it's back now and they've all been individually released which does make me go like that's pretty expensive to get all if you want all six of them now yeah, they are the same discs that are in that SOV pack, and they come with all the same features and everything, so... They have all the retrospective features that J.R. Bookwalter did when he released them to DVD as part of the Bad Movie Police Collection. Right, I remember that line. So there's commentaries, there's 20-minute video featurettes, and then there's also another retrospective like commentary with some of the actors that weren't present. Uh, there's also the VHS versions, because when he originally released them, he did kind of like, not remaster, well, yeah, they are remasters, where he went in and like changed the titles because they were like VHS-generated ones. He like improved some of the sound, some of the effects. All of that, if you want to watch in the original VHS version, is gone because he like just transferred the VHS tapes as well. And so on this list, we have Kingdom of the Vampire. Did you watch it, Mark? I did. So yeah, I asked. Basically, the only Book Walter film I'd seen prior to this is The Dead Next Door, which is kind of his first his first film, right? His first breakout sort of uh, Super 8 shot uh, zombie Took epic, like eight years to which make. Which is great. Yeah, a lot, like a real produced, fun. Well, kind of produced by Sam Raimi. Yeah, and I mean, it's got a lot of, a lot of Evil Dead homage in it and uh yeah just a lot of fun super lo-fi just like super like a lot of fun gore in it uh zombie epic considering how low budget it is is pretty ambitious for the amount of like extras and locations and stuff he's got um so yeah i'd always been meaning to tear into these and just never have so you recommended me this one because it's the first one and apparently the one that he cared the most about since you know it was the first one in the series. So yeah, I did watch it. And you do love whiny protagonists who are like, Mom! I, 
I am glad. What's going on? <laughs> I am going to have that guy's whiny ass voice stuck in my head for weeks now. And I love it. I love it. Screenwriter Matthew Jason Walsh. Oh, is that him? So he plays. <laughs> who now writes every David Dakota film, basically. So he also does the music in it, too, which is great. Yeah, he nice does. little incessant sort of synth score that you, you know, get in a lot of these SOV type movies. Um, I had a lot of fun with this. I mean, it's basically exactly what I was expecting. Super lo-fi vampire movie about a, you know, a vampire kid living with his vampire mom and she wants him to go out and start killing for her and you know he just wants to live a regular life as a teen working at the gas station convenience store yeah there's really not much to it than the, other than that it's a little bit more than an hour i think an hour and 10 minutes which i guess is probably the longest one of these <laughs> solid 70 but you know what it definitely stands out for the lead actor who is just whining the entire movie it's so funny yeah! <laughs> I mean the act I do like the actress that plays the mom too. She goes uh full she goes full camp into it as well, which is nice. Yeah, there's some good gore in it. It's just got a fun pace. Uh it's just got like a nice sense of humor to it, I think. There is like a, a self-awareness to it. Um, but yeah, it's mostly memorable just for this lead actor <laughs> and his screeching. So you're telling me they get progressively worse from this point on? Like, how are are there any other gems in this series past this? Uh, gems is a strong <laughs> word. I actually enjoy the one they made concurrently with Kingdom of the Vampire, Zombie Cup. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And then there's Chick Boxer, which J.R. Bookwalter did not direct, and stars not the lady on the cover, just some random, you know, normal. Uh, Normal looking woman as the titular chick boxer. There's Galaxy of the Dinosaurs, which was all shot in JR's backyard. Which was that was the one I was initially looking at just because, you know, a super low budget dinosaur movie is always funny to me. It's all footage from Planet of the Dinosaurs that make up the dinosaur, which is so funny because the original VHS box says all new on it, which is not true. <laughs> right, okay. And then what are the other ones? Uh there's like you said, humanoids from There's the- uh an action one. It's like ultimate oh, maximum force. maximum impact that's the so one so that's one that it's mostly talking until the last action scene in the final three minutes of the picture well i think i'm going to continue watching these because i don't know these just i just there's so much charm in these kind of things to me and i'm just yeah fascinated by his career i mean i want to watch some of his bigger stuff like i guess ozone is a little more noteworthy which i still haven't watched yeah he made ozone after this was so hard i believe that he went out and was like all right i gotta make another movie on my own prove that i can do it and that it is like something that is artistically and commercially uh valid and he did yeah so i gotta check that out and i know i guess before this he did robot ninja too right that was because i know there was which he was never very happy with but i like robot ninja a lot Yeah, and then kingdom of the vampire there are a few references to it (laughs) there's a poster up on the wall one of the kids uh, during the Halloween trick-or-treating scene is dressed up as a robot ninja. So it's fun. There's kind of like a meta, you know, continuity through some... A Tempe, a Tempe universe. universe, which is the J.R. Bookwalter, yeah, uh, name of the company. So yeah, if you're not... Uh, if you're into sort of low-budget horror stuff and you're not familiar with Bookwalter or the Tempe universe, I mean, maybe start with Dead Next Door and see how you yeah, feel about Yeah, or Robot Ninja. Those are shot on uh, Super 8 and 16mm, respectively. And then you can move over to the VHS stuff. Totally. Unfortunately, the Dead Next Door, the blue ray for that which was really nice and loaded uh is out of print now at least for us i don't know if you can get it through their I have site two copies oh well, look at you look at you i found the uh super duper uh patreon only special edition for like 
15 bucks at a used bookstore that someone gave it to you <laughs> nice find well i hope that gets you know repackaged or something i feel cause... like it's still available on makeflix.com which is the direct uh yeah there's no way that he just stopped uh send uh putting it out yeah unfortunately tempe yeah we can get their stuff here it's on like uh they do it in like an mod basis but um, I don't know. It doesn't last very long. So even with these ones, maybe we might only be able to get them for a limited amount of time. So oh, classic Mark Sell because these are VODs. You can't send them back. They're great though, and I love the way they're packaged. I don't. Know. It's just it's nice to see this stuff get like deluxe releases. And next up, we have A Star Is Born, the 1937 film. This one is directed by uh, like so. It's William William Wellman. Yeah, is it William Wellman? It is William A. Wellman who made this ah, one. Ah, look at that. I haven't even seen it. Nice. This is not Somehow the Julie Garland it. one. It's a classic Janet Gaynor, Frederick March film. You love A Star is Born, right? You love Lady Gaga doing her thing and singing. Yeah, I'm going to admit I haven't seen a single version of this. None of them. But you're a big Bradley Cooper fan. Yeah, I love him. I hate that guy. <laughs> what, you hate Bradley Cooper? What has he done yeah, to you? I've never really liked him. I mean, you know what? The only movie I can say I really liked Bradley Cooper in was Limitless. <laughs> okay, yeah. And what about uh, Wedding Crashers? He plays the villain in that. Yeah, he's okay. Yeah, I never, I don't really like Wedding Crashers no, in movie. general. So yeah. It's but bad. finally, this film available on Blu-ray from Warner Archives, the company that is always on the brink of death. Is it going to go? Is it not? Well, it's still here. Well, you know, this is a pretty good release for them because this was on Blu-ray from Kino prior to this years ago. Kino and Warner Archives head to head. I guess so. But this is a brand new restoration of it. Apparently, the Kino disc didn't look that hot. I don't know. I never. Thought, but uh, this one is fully restored, and we've been selling a ton, a ton more than the Kino disc. So I guess people are aware. Yeah, of that. maybe the Kino disc went out of print too. So people are like, "I need it." I no, need it's it. actually still around, oddly enough. So it's one of those weird rights situations where I guess two different companies hold the rights for different restorations. Maybe we see this sometimes. There's like competing releases of the same movie from like two official companies. Well, that's interesting. If you want Stars Born, I guess pick up the Warner Archives version, which is, I'm sure, much more expensive than the Kino one, but it's a better transfer. It's not too bad. You know what? I gotta say, our Warner Archive prices have been coming down lately. So, basically, MBD has started to carry Warner Archive titles. They have. Hey, I wish. They'd be even cheap. They'd be even cheaper, and then I could also return them, too. But So, <laughs> next up, we have Mad Dog Morgan. Woof, woof. It's the classic. Woof, woof. Um, Dennis Hopper. Do- Dennis Hopper plays a dog. Yeah, no, I wish. And he could, like, morph into a dog. Right. <laughs> and also, he has rabies because he's a mad dog. Uh, yeah, that would be a great movie. No, this is the Philip DeBroca, director of Howling 3, The Marsupials. It's actually Philippe Mora. Philippe DeBroca. Yeah, there's a P-E at the end of his name. It's, it's, Mo- it's Mora, though. Isn't oh, it? Mora. Why am I getting to... Oh, I'm getting DeBroca from the guy who directed um, those... Yeah, who is that? He's a director of... Ugh, those French films starring Jean-Paul Belmondo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I got the movie right. I was thinking of you got it. Captain you got Invincible it. <laughs> director coming soon to Severin. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, the Howling sequels. I was in Communion with Christopher Walken, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, this one I have never seen, but this one is famous for being featured in Not Quite Hollywood, of someone being lit on fire in the picture. Yeah, so this is kind of one of the more famous Ozploitation movies uh, where they got Dennis Hopper, who was, you know, 
right in his prime after in his drug addled prime after easy rider and the last movie they got him to come on over and do this and it's based on a true story of a real outlaw it takes place in australia but it's about an irish outlaw who comes over and you know raises hell basically he gets sent to prison for like a minor altercation and then once he gets out he wants to take a revenge on anybody and everybody so it's kind of like one of the first australian westerns i guess that was made in the ausploitation era but um yeah i'd never seen this but i'd always heard it was pretty legendary for dennis hopper's performance and i can attest to it after watching it this weekend that his performance is legendary and contains one of the worst accents i think i've ever heard in my life dennis hopper doing an irish accent is just got to be seen to be believed because he tries to keep it up the entire movie and it's it's really not good but he also looks like he's on drugs the entire movie, which he is. So. And what about the rest of the movie? It's fun. I honestly I had a good time with this. It's like it definitely, you know, takes the form of kind of like a stately prestige sort of like period Western for most of it. So it definitely, you know, if you're going into it thinking like just exploitation, you might be a little uh, surprised how professionally made it is i guess but they definitely do have their moments of exploitation there's some good moments of gore and some of the violent scenes which are definitely out of like something that like would be out of a trauma movie which well this was released by trauma yeah so trauma released this on dvd in the early days of dvd but uh it was a bad transfer and they cropped it was a bad it was the wrong aspect ratio it was cropped poorly so this is actually this huge limited edition box set from indicators the first time in north america that i'm aware of that it's been seen on home video in it's like original aspect ratio and it looks great it's beautiful transfer and it's stocked with extras you get two cuts of the film the original director's cut and then the uk u.s theatrical release cut yeah i don't know this was a fun movie and again like for some reason i've become like a western yeah you're mark western hansen now you love westerns I'm watching nothing but westerns now next up musicals musicals uh, and yeah, it definitely doesn't flinch on some of the darker aspects of the story. Uh, they sh- when Dennis Hop when Mad Dog Morgan is in prison at the uh, at the beginning, there's a uh, pretty uh, vicious rape scene in it where uh, which is kind of you know spurs on his vengeful ways. It's like a like an Oscar Beatty type period Western if they went like full ham on like the violence and like showboaty kind of performances. But yeah, I would say the main reason to watch this is Dennis Hopper because he is absolutely unhinged in this movie and the next movie i know mark watched it starflight one the plane that couldn't land you know what i did not get around to watching this you know our our week i tried to pitch this as the blind buy this week and you just weren't having any of it but uh oh you it's gonna fucking suck it's probably gonna be bad i mean this is a tv movie from the 70s that kino's putting out i just put this on the list because the the original title starflight the plane that couldn't land is just so funny to me it's it's like the bus that couldn't slow down you know? yeah well it's out kino continues to put out these tv movies you're either gonna get it or you're not so it's about a super the first hypersonic jet that's supposed to go from like what the new york to la and like or new york to london in like a couple hours or something Doesn't it go into space or something like that that's what's on the cover something goes wrong and it just like flies out of orbit and goes into space <laughs> And then it can't, it can't get back into space. But I mean, it's got a good cast of, you know, 70s TV veterans, I guess. You know, Lee Majors, Hal Linden, you know, for all you Barney Miller fans out there. Um, it could be fun. I don't know. I, we, we needed to pad out the list this week. We got Eastern Promises being put out from Kino. Speaking of padding. Yeah, th- this is another padding. Uh, you know, Cronenberg 
on Kino. You guys like Cronenberg, right? Now he's back on Blu-ray. Yeah, I, I admit this is probably one of my my lesser favorite Cronenberg movies. <laughs> you put it on this Dude, list. Dude, there, there needed. There's just not enough titles. <laughs> hey, but you've seen Ham on Rye, right? The Factory Twenty Five. Yeah, uh... let's move on. Uh, I have seen Ham on Rye, and this is quite interesting. This movie. Oh no, we've fallen into the vinegar syndrome. <laughs> Every week, there's just so many. I got to break them up. Uh, Ham on Rye is an interesting film, though. It's an American indie film from a couple years ago. Uh, made by a director named Tyler Termina and uh, played some like on the festival scene, but kind of just got small, like a limited. Didn't it come out like right when the pandemic hit? I remember. It did, yeah. So it played festivals, I guess, in 2019 and then came out, uh, I guess, streaming and limited theatrical right before the pandemic hit. And I knew Factory 25 had it. So once Vinegar Syndrome announced they were kind of partnering up with uh, Factory 25, I had a feeling this might be coming down the pipeline. And here it is. Uh, And it's a really interesting little film that kind of at first sort of is like a Richard Linklater-esque sort of dazed and confused portrait of like use and Doesn't it turn into a slasher film or something like that? No, it doesn't. Have you seen this movie? No, I haven't. No? Oh, so you just put <laughs> you put this on the list. I thought you'd uh, I, I knew that you had seen one. it and I knew that we could talk about it a little you're bit. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I could read you like a book, Mark. <laughs> it's actually not as cut and dry as a slasher movie. It does do like genre bending stuff, but it doesn't really go in that direction. It kind of, like I said, starts off almost like Days and Confused, where you see a bunch of youths in what appears to be the 70s, although they don't really specify the time. It just looks like it's from that era. And they're preparing for what appears to be like the prom or some sort of school event like that. But then they eventually end up just going to a diner that everybody talks about. They all do this bizarre sort of ritual. And then the film turns into something else like some of the kids disappear like just literally vanish into thin air and then the film kind of jumps forward in time but again it never specifies time so you're kind of not really sure where you are but it eventually ends up in what appears to be the present day and it's like some of these kids are now grown up some are just the same but living in the present day and it's all about just i think the idea of just like escaping suburbia or being doomed to like stay in your hometown forever is kind of I think the underlying theme within it so even though it's kind of like light and breezy on the surface and the way it's made it does have this sort of strange dark undertone to it really interesting little film though I would highly recommend you check it out and the director's new he's got a new film out that just played Berlin earlier this year called Happer's Comet I believe which sounds like it's a similar type of thing it's it's like Linklater meets David Lynch a little bit meets any number of those kind of like indie 90s indie hits but it's just got kind of like a weird sense of surrealism that is hard to put your finger on which i found really intriguing about it because it just found kind of fresh and new to me we also have from circle collective a company completely unrelated to vinegar what (laughs) they're also a partner label One day, every single label will just be a Vinegar Syndrome partner. And uh, this is a release of Quiet City, Dance Party USA. Now, I don't know if you've seen these ones, Mark. Oh, I have. Are you kidding me? These are Mumblecore. These are Mumblecore staples here. This this was... Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I looked at some photos and I'm like, this is Mumblecore. Uh, Oh, I'm surprised. For some reason, I thought you'd seen these as well. No, I just put them on because I knew that this is stuff that you could talk about. You know me too well. Um, So, yeah, these two films are, yeah, if you're familiar with the Mumblecore 
forward movement and all these two were kind of along with I would say Joe Swanberg and the Duplass brothers these two films who were made by Aaron Katz were kind of like the big ones to kick off I guess to kick Mumblecore more into the mainstream view and this was actually probably my introduction to Mumblecore because these came out on DVD as a two-pack through a company that can't remember what their name is anymore but they don't exist anymore there was this small company that was putting out like real micro-budget Mumblecore stuff on DVD in the 2000s and they put out a really nice special edition DVD set of both of these two so I probably won't be upgrading to the Blu-ray because these are shot on like mini DV cameras in the 2000s so I'm not sure the upgrade is really necessary but since that previous DVD is out of print if you don't have these and you're interested in Mumblecore uh, I would say go for it I would say Aaron Katz as a director didn't get move as much into the mainstream as like Joe Swanberg did and Joe Swanberg actually has a small role in Quiet City as well but he didn't move into the mainstream as much as he did or the Duplass brothers he kind of he made a few bigger indie films like uh, Cold Weather I'm not sure if you've seen it's kind of like a Sherlock Holmes mystery type thing which is kind of interesting do you think they stop returning his calls no I mean it seems like they all sort of work together I don't know Aaron Katz just kind of disappeared unfortunately which was sad to me because I really love both of these films um dance party usa is the earlier one which is super low budget just like one of those movies that feels like you know shot with friends on a weekend quiet city has a bit more of a budget and it kind of is like a new york set before sunrise type of thing where you have a character come to new york meet up with basically you've got a guy coming to new york he meets up with a girl and they just kind of like spend the weekend together after they've just met basically like before sunrise but just done in more of a mumblecore kind of style but they're both really great films and they're really beautifully shot for being on mini dv especially quiet city it really captures sort of like the skyline of uh manhattan really nicely on dv cameras so um yeah i really dig these listen you can't just pick up robocops guys so you gotta pick up on Rye and Quiet City Dance Party exactly. USA. Exactly. You know, these are like cool indie, and this is what I do. You know, we're making fun of the Vinegar Syndrome par- partner labels a lot, but this is what I really love about them doing this. Oh, this is great that they get to resurface these films that don't have conventional, like it's a slasher film, it's a horror film. Exactly. You can put out smaller indie stuff. Yeah, you can go back and look at like Mumblecore and like take out some of these gems that sort of have faded you know since you know dvd releases it's just so funny that they have so many partner labels like they do yeah i mean it's getting a little out of control no question i think though like i was talking about this on social media is they just need to separate the releases throughout the week as far as announcements goes i know mark will have to look at them all in one go but for us normal folk when they release 50 new things i'm like i can't it's too much. I don't have time to go through all of them. And oftentimes what happens is I'll go, oh, that looks interesting. And then I forget it. And then it comes out. And I'm like, oh, wait, this came out. Uh, whoops. I got to pick this up. Now, luckily, I get order sheets and stuff. So whenever they put their new batch out, I get like an order like a pre-order page of like everything. Mark is like, you're a baby. I got to look at hundreds of releases each time. But at least it helps me stay on top of it when I can just have them all on like one sheet together so I can look through them all. But yeah, you know, and I, and I feel like on their end, and on ours, like, not all of these sell. Like, I'm going to be frank. I don't know if Ham on Rye or the Quiet City Dance Party 2-pack are going to sell all that well. But just the fact that they're available and out there is... I feel like, when do the partner labels start to quietly stop releasing stuff? Well, that's what I'm not sure. Because I can't imagine Vinegar Syndrome is sitting there, like, acquiring, you know, like, the Factory 25 stuff. Or, like, 
this mumblecore stuff and thinking like, <laughs> like, I can't wait for the dollars to roll in. Yeah, like we're going to sell as many copies of this as we sell of like, you know, the flesh for Frankenstein 4K or whatever. You like Madman? He's back in 4K. <laughs> yeah, there's no way they actually think they're going to sell like that many, but they must sell enough to make it worthwhile. You know, I always see people post their photos of like, oh, I got my, you know, OCN haul this month and it's all like they've got copies of these. So, I mean, I assume some people are buying I them. do feel though, I've seen people be like, wait, this is not like a classic. Like people are, you know, who they are not, uh, they have no affinity for this are starting to realize like, maybe I'm not going to get all well, of these. Well, I mean, I guess, yeah, and they are really trying to separate it, I guess, from what vinegar syndrome is as to what their like OCN partner labels are. So they can make that distinct distinction. I just really like to see especially a lot of movies like smaller indie movies from the last 20 years or so that you'd never see think you'd see like a blu-ray hey, of hey hey not too small you gotta leave something the breadcrumb for gold ninja video to pick up i know but you know when they just announced their um, next batch and one of them is that the horror film they look like people which i know you and i have talked about on here once or twice before yeah i thought it was okay yeah which i don't know i saw on netflix years ago just stumbled across and like i'll give it a chance and it was a pretty like i thought it was a pretty good like interesting low-budget horror movie yeah it's not perfect but it was something i'm like well i guess you know we'll never see any sort of physical release for that but here you go they're putting out like a blu-ray i remember seeing that movie when i was working at one of the worst jobs i've ever had well second worst job worst job was working uh at a call center telling people they can't have medication when they're in the fourth um you know stage 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 four uh, and that was the worst second worst is definitely working as an assistant editor uh, on a job that I did not know how to use a software. My friend's like, you'll figure it out. It'll be easy. And uh, I'm like, this is hell. Yeah. I don't know how to do this. I've tried to teach myself. And yeah. Uh, but I remember watching They Look Like People spending a like 12-hour night trying to do a simple thing at work. Yeah. And just having it on yeah, in the background. Just in the background because <laughs> I'm like, I need to figure this out. I'll watch this movie as it plays. And I remember enjoying it at the time. Yeah, it was good. I liked it. But we could talk about that more, you know. Maybe I should have it as like a... Um, Proustian memory when I look at it, I'm like oh yeah I remember yeah, that yeah right that's that's what physical media is for right to you know nostalgia for specific moments I almost remember when I look at my blu-rays and dvds I remember when I got them most of the time and I'm like oh yeah well let's be honest guys Mark owns like only 12 blu-rays and dvds I own 12 I know I own 12 blu-rays and tons of bargain bin dvds he that. owns uh, Phantom of the Mall in the 4k the big box no I, I, I swapped that in <laughs> You swapped it. I don't know. Just like, I was like, am I ever going to watch this again? Eh, probably not. I've gotten rid of so much stuff I've gotten at, like, used places because I buy it thinking, well, I got to get this. It's so cheap. And then I'm like, why do I have this? I'm never going to watch this again. That's the thing. It's like, even if I kind of like it, if you think about it after a while, it's like, am I ever going to watch this again? Or should I just give it away? Do you sell stuff to used places? I've... rarely done it yeah i there's a uh, chain of used stores in toronto called bmv which are great for taking stuff in i mean yeah they don't necessarily give you a ton of money unless you bring them like super you know out of print stuff but you know if i have like super rare out of print stuff i'll try and sell it on like some you know part of like facebook seller groups or stuff that you can usually get rid of that stuff so yeah i'll, I'll try and sell but if i can't get any money for it then i usually just bring it into the store because we we don't like selling used DVDs aren't isn't really our thing but if people donate stuff or if we have old rentals that we don't need we'll sell them off we have a little used bin so basically I'll just get rid of anything 
I can't get money for at the store and just sell it. And then it off a sucker there. like Justin buys it and he's like, why do I have this? I haven't bought anything out of your used bin in years. Well, there's not, it's kind of light now, you know. We haven't gotten a ton of donations recently. So. I need this copy of uh, Despicable Me 3 rental copy. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Please, somebody buy it. It's like $1.95. Now, <laughs> I love that. Seeing the price get lower and lower. Yeah, the they just go down to like 95 cents. Once it gets to 95 cents, if nobody buys it, it's just like, we're just going to put it out on the street. And you see. do not have 95 cent Blu-rays and DVDs, do you, in your bargain There bin? were a couple DVDs we had for 95 cents back in the day. If you go to Bay Street, though, there's sometimes really good stuff because they're just old rentals. I got, um, I love that big box set that David Callett put out for Treasure Island. Treasure Island. I knew you were going to mention Treasure Island. Yeah, that was a big one. Just We just had, a, and that wasn't even used. That was like a new copy. We just had had old stock. Like nobody was buying it. And that it, movie so. is an insane special edition. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, when we sold good, off the. Very interesting. I grabbed the, because we sold off the rental of that too, and I snagged the rental. So I got the copy of that just because it's a fascinating little film but yeah you know. that company that david callett uh, ran all day entertainment very interesting i wish they were more available but they are long out of print yeah they are they are all right so moving on we have aline from maison Catier. the tell me you've seen this one. i have not this is the one where the french comedian uh, does not play Celine Dion. She plays a completely different character called Aline. Aline Dieu. Aline Dieu. <laughs> now, I... Who is who is exactly Celine Dion. Yeah, so this is a movie where it's famous because it's a biopic, but the actor is famous for playing characters at all ages. Yeah, so she is... I wasn't too familiar with her, but her name is Valérie Le Mercier. Mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with her at all. She's like a Quebec comedian. She's actually from France. She's not Quebec. Oh, really? Yeah, I she, thought she was from no, Quebec. No, she's actually from France, and she's actually pretty big in France for making, like, mainstream comedies. It's almost like female, like, Adam Sandler type in, like, in, like France. I mean, her first kind of like breakthrough as an actor was in The Visitors. Remember the Jean Reno movie where they're like knights that come to the... Not to be confused with the uh, American remake. The American remake. Yeah, no, she was in the original. Uh, she was basically the character that Christina Applegate, I think, played in the remake. But then after that... So wait, that, is this a French movie from France or a Quebec movie? So this is a France-Canada co-production. So from what I understand, since that, you know, her breakthrough, she's become a director, actor, kind of comedian person, made a lot of big mainstream French comedies. She wanted to make a biopic of Celine Dion, but then her co-writer partner said, well, hey, why don't we just do that but change the name make it a fictional character because then we can play into the more comedy aspects of it which is like you know you compared her to michael uh to uh, adam sandler but looking at her filmography it seems almost more like a mike myers like i pick and choose because there's not that many considering she's been working since 1988 yeah she's done a few but her films seem to make a lot of money in france her last one i believe was a uh comedy called marie francine where she's like a 50 year old woman who basically like gets divorced and has to it goes home to live with her parents and like you know it's one of those kind of movies um in this one though so she plays celine dion or sorry aileen Dieu. yeah we're gonna get sued mark be careful even with the name change the events that take place in this film are right from celine dion's life and which makes it even more confusing they use celine dion's actual songs in this how did they get the rights to her songs so i get so here's the thing they don't actually use the tracks that Celine Dion sang. Right, so you can buy the... um, It's a different right. So they have a new singer who's not the actor. Basically, they have a singer come in and re-record these songs 
but exactly as how they sounded initially. And then this actress, Valerie Lemercier, lip syncs these songs during the concert scenes. But they use the songs like they are actual. And if you see in the credits at the end, they're at the actual songs credited to like written by Celine Dion and everything like that. Mark. Is it a funny movie? It's great. I love this movie. This movie is hilarious. I was I was happy to see this at a, a press screening here because it took a while to come out. Does it play like Walk Hard? Um, I mean, I'm not as huge a fan of Walk Hard as a lot of people are. I know people really like that movie. You don't like Walk Hard? Ah, oh, so good. And I reference it all the time. There's so many jokes like when he's doing uh, the smile sessions and he's like, saltier. I need the sound to be saltier. I say that all the time when we're doing sound on stuff. No, I definitely like has its moments i don't know it just hasn't really stuck with me like other comedies have i guess but this does have certain elements of that the thing that i found really intriguing about this movie though is i'm not quite sure what the motivation is most of the time like yeah sometimes it seems like she's really leaning into the comedy aspects of it like there's great moments where like at the beginning when a character accidentally calls her character Celine and they're like they basically like look at the camera and go uh 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 it's Aileen and then we haven't even talked about the main the, the main source of hilarity in this which is the yeah, fact that she is an adult woman playing a child she plays this character from the age of 12 to present day so the first glimpse we get of Aileen is when she is a 12 year old and they have this weird forced perspective thing going on. Plus they've, <laughs> plus they've clearly like put her face onto the body of like an actual oh, 12 year old. No. It's so bizarre. It's like the opening scene is basically her at this wedding. I thought it would just be her like, you know, being small, not with her face on somebody else. Well, there definitely are moments where she's just small and clearly, yeah, like I said, it's a forced perspective thing. So the way they're shooting it is like they're making the other actors look taller. But there's other moments where it's just like clearly it's like an actual young person, the body, and then the head is cut. I don't know. It's really freakish to behold, I got to say. How does it deal with the uh, very uncomfortable relationship that Celine Dion had in her life? Even funnier. So yeah, as you know, Celine Dion married her manager who was like 25 years her senior or whatever. And who had been her manager from her being a young 15 years old or something like that yeah and even and even when this actress is playing Aileen at like 15 so she's more like she looks like her size is basically how it's how it's supposed to be but she dresses like a 15 year old in like a really weird kind of garish way the way they treat this relationship is again almost like pure comedy but then at the same time like they also want to treat it like it's wrong because the mother is like always expressing her concerns about it saying this isn't right but then they eventually just play it like super romantically which is and it all culminates in like a hilarious scene where uh the husband manager proposes to aileen by like sticking a uh, the the engagement ring in an ice cream cone that he's getting for her (laughs) and they play the whole thing like she's still like 12 years old almost she's just like so it's just so bizarre but it's it's weird it's not like they're doing it as some sort of satire it's just making it because at the same time they make it seem romantic like the way they first i mean it's gross but there's even a scene where they first consummate their love after one of her shows when she's like 
god only like 19 maybe 20 no but the problem is she still acts through all this like she's like a 15 year old and then you're so you're thinking like okay are they making a comment on this but it doesn't really seem hey, like they're they are. the french mark they love it because then the way the story goes after that like it's played very romantically and sensitively their relationship and especially when he dies and when he gets sick and he dies at the end like there's a lot of like it gets really dramatic. It gets really sad. So I'm just like, I don't know. It's just one of those movies. I, I love movies where I can never quite figure out what they're going for most of the time. And this is like a prime example of that. But, you know, this is probably one of the most entertaining biopics I've seen. All right. Years. So check out uh, Celine. I mean, Aline. <laughs> Released by uh, Maison Quartier, still not putting up Blu-rays. I know, and I, it's weird because this is probably one of the biggest movies they've had actually for a while. But they have but... the thing though that like they have the rights in Canada, and they don't have the rights anywhere else. It seems this Canadian release is the only physical release of this so far. So why don't they put it out on Blu-ray? Yeah, they did Blu-rays. They released a couple Blu-rays of Nadia Butterfly, which is the Canadian film they released a year or two ago, and another foreign film. So they've started moving into the Blu-ray realm, but they haven't with this. When they first uh, contacted me about this being available, I asked them, are you going to have Blu-rays? No, just DVD. It must be a deal they have then with somebody else, even though they should go the indicator route. Just put it out on Blu-ray because you'll get international buyers. And you can't stop people from buying Blu-rays across countries. Exactly. Um, but I will say that in the U.S., I know this film has was picked up by Samuel Goldwyn. And oh, that's they, why. They can't do Blu-rays. Well, they Samuel Goldwyn does put out Blu-rays. So if you're looking for a Blu-ray, maybe hold off because it's possible that Samuel Goldwyn might put one out down the road. I think they're just releasing it theatrically in the States like this month. But yeah, but, you know, I'm definitely going to pick this up. You know, either on DVD or on Blu-ray if it ever comes out. Because I just, like, this movie, need people need to know this movie exists. And this needs to be heralded as one of the great biopics of all time. So, we also have The Requin from Lionsgate. This is so funny. Is that, that how it's you called. pronounce it? The Requin is just shark in is French. Is that what it is? In sh- okay, that's It's a, literally just the shark. Because I was just like, that's oh, I'm going to watch The Requin. <laughs> <laughs> the Requiem. Why would they call it this? So... Is this an American film? Because it's directed by a Vietnamese director. So it's directed by a Vietnamese director who, yeah, has done a lot of Vietnamese action stuff. He, d- he did um, Fury, that really uh, big action film that came out a couple years ago. So that's why I was intrigued by this. I know why else you were intrigued. Because it's sharks and it stars Alicia Silverstone, who I have to admit, I mean, I love Alicia Silverstone, but she is awful in this movie. Oh, my God. I mean, either the director hangs her out to dry or she was just going off the deep end with her performance. But basically, this is, you know, a pretty standard shark movie. It takes place in Vietnam, which I guess is maybe why this guy directed it. Wow, he wrote and directed it. It's a real auteur project. So Alicia Silverstone and the other guy, I don't know who the actor is. They play a couple. They're on vacation after she ended up losing their child. So she they were going to have a child. She ended up miscarrying or something. <laughs> Wait, I'm just reading credits here. This production filmed at Universal Studios in Orlando. Did they film it in the shark, in the Jaws tank? I, they might have, because basically the premise is they get one of those, like, on-the-water sort of, like, huts to, like, like vacation huts, and then there's a big storm, and it gets swept out to sea. So the whole movie is them, like, on this sinking hut thing out on sea, and there's sharks, obviously. I will say it takes forever for the sharks to 
to make an appearance like you don't get any shark action until like maybe the last half hour up until then it's literally just alicia silverstone like freaking out because she's traumatized from a you know losing a child before and now she's traumatized by this whole situation she basically just plays your typical like annoyingly traumatized horror movie person and yeah i feel bad for her because i love alicia but man she is it's you know, hard to watch at times. There's some good shark action in the last half hour. I'll give it How that. How CGI the shark on a scale of a David Dakota film and Jaws to Jaws. <laughs> it's better than a David Dakota film. It's clearly CGI, but it's a little bit. I mean, again, they do enough to obscure it, so you're not seeing too much of how badly CGI. You shot it, it at is. Universal Studios Orlando. Give me some of that Jaws popping out of the water. It's definitely. You know, in terms of, you know, how bad shark movies usually are nowadays, this one has somewhat of a budget. So I'll say it's it's a little better. It, it approaches like the 47 meters down. Still would not recommend. Not good. I'll, I'll say while it approaches kind of the 47 meters down vibe a bit, it's not as good as those movies because it just takes too long for the shark to even really appear. All right. So let's go to our last film of the week mark's like how are we gonna pad out a whole episode we're already 46 minutes in. wow jesus yeah we just keep talking and talking so the last <laughs> picture is pursuit and this is you know close to our hearts because it is from the producer of send it which i didn't even realize at the time i saw the name come up and because the title started with like oh, i need to find his name here so andrew stevens production and i'm like i love it when someone like puts their name right up at the beginning and like they didn't direct it and i'm like who is this andrew <gasps> it's the send it guy and send it if you don't remember is the kiteboarding movie that we had a great time reviewing about a year or so Mark ago and me we're gonna go kiteboarding this summer we're gonna start so. our own kiteboarding business well, we're not starting um, our own business Let's just start with some kiteboarding. But this movie is also notable because it's directed by Brian Skiba, who was the director of another blind buy that we did, uh, The Second, which was the... Which me and Mark enjoyed quite a bit. Uh, right wing Ryan Phillippe Right movie. wing Ryan Phillippe action movie. Well, it looks like they were start, trying to start an action franchise with it, but, you know, no word on a sequel to that. Directed yet, so. uh, Pursuit in that movie by Brian Skiba, who seems like a younger guy, and... Uh, it will not stop making movies like no he's got a packed resume a lot of lifetime movie a lot stuff of horror on there. films early on in his career in the 2010s yeah. the only two i've seen now are the second and pursuit so i'm only familiar with his action stuff but like we were saying justin this guy he's got a style i mean he's trying is what i'll say because like in pursuit We've seen a lot of Bruce Willis films and uh, Steven Seagal pictures. The directors are phoning it in, like barely trying in those films. Yeah, like there's no style to a lot of these VOD action stuff that we watch. And Pursuit? There's squibs? Real squibs! Real explosions too! Which I was shocked to see. But on the surface, it appears just like any other VOD movie. You've got John Cusack is kind of like the name star who's like slumming it for like five, ten minutes. Emile Hirsch, who is a you know big presence in these movies. Emile Hirsch, he is in full twitchy Mel Gibson mode at this oh, point. Oh yeah, so he plays like a hacker character who's got tattoos all over his face and like blonde hair. He spends a lot of the running time shirtless in front of a computer as like screens flash at us. Yeah, right. He mumbles. He just mumbles a lot. He doesn't really talk properly. Uh, what are you doing? Uh, what is he thinking going to do? Yeah. that? and then the actual lead actor is some like nobody who probably you know is friends with the producer or the 
director well, or so something. So the lead actor is a guy called Jake Manley, and he has been in a shocking amount of has things. He? Okay. Considering how dull he is. He started, and it looks like, was he on one of those Netflix shows? Oh, he was on iZombie. He was on Heroes Reborn. He was, he's just a, you know, regular guy. He was on a TV show called The Order that lasted 20 okay. episodes. He just looks like your typical bland, like, TV actor, you know? But yeah, the story here, I don't know. The story's not even really that interesting. Emil Hirsch is like a hacker guy whose wife was kidnapped or something at one point. His father is John Cusack, who's like a crime boss. It's convoluted because then John Cusack is also working for another guy who's like a bigger Rick crime boss. Rick is giving boss. it to Frank, who's giving it to Brad. And I'm like, who are these people? What? There's so many characters. There's so many layers to this crime syndicate, too, that I don't understand. Do you know what I started realizing like three quarters of the way through that I'm like, is the director trying to rip off? Craig as Zoller. You know, it does seem like it a little bit, eh? There's definitely that, you know, there's that there's that attempt at making like a sprawling pulp sort of environment. And it's like hyper violent. Hyper violent, yeah. And the colors are just like so bright and in your the face. The colors are so bright that it looks like the film is in 3D and you're not wearing your glasses. But you're right, there is hyper violence in it. There's like even the scenes where like you know, Emil Hirsch is captured at one point and he's getting tortured, but then he like flips the script and he basically tortures these other. There's a lot of weird torture stuff in this, basically, which I wasn't expecting. Yeah, like people get their tongues cut off. Yeah, so it gets pretty grisly. Uh, and there's a lot of like, what I thought was funny is the amount of slow-mo in this movie. There's so much, so many like slow-mo sequences of either people walking cool, or there's one great one with a guy walking away from an explosion in slow-mo. Like it's There's <laughs> a clip that went around on Twitter uh, from someone that I follow, and he's like, oh God, look how bad this movie is. Look at the slow-mo and i watch it i'm like this is so goofy it's the scene where the hero jumps back oh, with his gun in slow yeah, motion yeah. and the other guy has time to reload <laughs> before and the, the hero's still in the air i'm like oh i like this right i would say that the second had fun action though and this doesn't have any fun action in it. yeah i would say this does not live up to the second at least this because I think with the second, it was just a very, like, simple premise, you know? It was like mm. that... Die it's like Die Hard in your college, university, Yeah, but with, like, with like a right-wing sort of political, you know, Yeah, where it's it. the evil, seemingly left-wing people <laughs> yeah, exactly, take over. Right? So I guess they want to take away the Second Amendment is what the second yeah, was it's about. Like, they want to take away the Second Amendment, but they're going to use but they're going to use firepower to do you that. Can, you can read it however you want, you know. Anytime anyone says that, when they're like, listen, we are non-political, that means they're right-wing. That means <laughs> like, they that's are. That's what it means. Yeah, that means they are. But this one doesn't, this one's trying to be a little more ambitious, I think, and have a more complex story and environment, and I think that bogs it down a little bit because like it kind of loses steam in the middle too because the beginning has like a, a bananas chase scene yeah it does which is actually pretty entertaining yeah, yeah to like a, a chase through a mall, a mall? Has, a real, yeah. has a really funny scene where Emil Hirsch's stunt double takes a gigantic jump off a balcony you don't see him land you hear him land off screen and then it comes to Emil Hirsch on the ground being like oh that jump yeah, really which hurt. he clearly would have like broken his back if he had done that in reality it was hard to, whereas I could invest a little bit in Ryan Phillippe's, you know, story in the second, 
in this, it was hard to like invest in anybody because there's not really a lead character. I would say John Cusack's a little more active than like Bruce Willis is usually in these kind of things. John Cusack doesn't seem to know what movie he's in though. He's like at a house, he's cooking steaks. That's what he does for the entire film. I mean, he's a little more aware, I think. I think John Cusack is a little more self-aware about what he's doing in these kind of movies. What's going on? Oh yeah. Uh, you know what, John Cusack, at least he's not wearing a do-rag. No, which was, you know, I kind of was disappointed that he wasn't, though. That's his go-to look these days. <laughs> Sitting in a car wearing a the do-rag. do-rag and baseball cap combo. It's both. It's both. Does he have more action <laughs> film? Wow, John Cusack is in a uh, TV show coming up. Or that already played. Oh, no. No, that's But canceled. John Cusack does a lot of these movies, though. He does. He works with, uh, like, Randall Emmett, the producer of all those Wait, Bruce Willis did movies. did you see... The John Cusack, Emil Hirsch Western, Never Grow Old from 2019. I never did, but I heard that was actually not bad because it's from the director. It was a, from an actual, like, a good director, though. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I'm looking here. I don't recognize any of his films. Uh, he did. He directed some horror Tin stuff. Can Man, The Solution. So he directed some, One like, wonderful home. interesting kind of indie horror stuff. All right, stuff. well, I'm going to add Never Grow Old to the list. John Cusack has a hat on with long hair. Why are he and Emil Hirsch appearing in so many films together? Well, because they just all work for the same producers, basically. So Emil Hirsch is part of this crew now. John Cusack is. I mean, used to be Bruce willis used to be you know a lot of i mean john travolta's been there like a lot of these guys you know i'd give it a a half-hearted recommendation i would say it's not anywhere as good as the second i thought we had a lot more fun with the second and it's certainly nowhere near as entertaining as send it was yeah it's a weird but it's got its moments yeah it's a little it's a it's a cut above it most is of the i would stuff say I but see. it's like not good not even close to good but it's not good it's still it's still probably something I'll forget in like a couple weeks, so I wouldn't even say it's that good. I would say it's more of like a watch, like a rental kind of watch. Okay, so no blind buy recommendation though. For blind me. rent here. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> then me and Mark. No, we're not creating a new tier. This is a pass fail. Yeah, system. this is just a rental. So yeah. Fail, okay, this is fail, a fail. Yeah, then. Sorry, fail. But it's just not. Are, worth, what are you going to do? Spend thirty bucks on a Blu-ray? I couldn't pursuit? believe it. No. It was like thirty-two ninety-five. It's too much. Too much money. Man. Uh, but Andrew Stevens has a new production coming out, which is a neo-noir featuring. Ooh, yeah. Uh, Batman Morgan Freeman. Uh, he sure dodged that bullet, didn't he? <laughs> like, he did. Nah, he's too respected. People didn't want to come after him. Did he date like a, a niece who committed suicide? He, yeah, there was something weird going. He was sexually inappropriate with a niece or something. Apparently, he's been sexually inappropriate with female crew members on sets. So, so has he been like yeah. grandfathered out? That's really not good. Yeah, I don't know. I remember hearing about it, and then it just kind of came and went really fast. But you fast, know what? It so. sounds like he has been uh, banished to uh, no budget land. Oh, God. I hope he's not. I mean, maybe he has dementia, too, and they're forcing him to make these movies. <laughs> it's possible. Quite possible. Because I'm looking, and I see, like, he has a lot coming up. Uh, well, he hosts he, some TV shows, too. I think he does some, like, History Channel TV show hosting stuff. So he, he makes. He's fine. But I see, he's like, okay. oh, he has a. Wow. He has a Taylor Hackford uh, film coming up. Taylor Hackford. Wow, he's still around. Eh? Al Pacino, Helen Mirren, and Danny DeVito. Wow. Well, that that's a big budget film right there. A retired detective pulled back into action by his former partner. I hope the retired detective is Danny DeVito. <laughs> I hope so too. 
<laughs> well, I'll certainly be following the career of Andrew Stevens, producer man. That's for sure. Uh, and it looks like Morgan Freeman is also in a film that features Florence Pugh and Molly Shannon. Okay, so these are these are like real movies. Oh no, directed by Zach Braff. Oh, that's God. why Florence Pugh. Oh, is you in know it. what? Zach Braff and Morgan Freeman are friends. Zach Braff has directed Morgan. That's right. Freeman he appeared in that old guy robs banks movie. Going the distance or something, or no, going in style, I think. Uh, and then he was also he also directed the Comeback Trail, I believe, or starred with him in the Comeback Trail, which was another old person comedy that came out recently well okay so while morgan freeman not good we are fans of cole hauser and jamie alexander love cole hauser yeah great stuff we'll be there for the minute you wake up dead oh yeah you know i will you know i will so that's it for this week's episode of the bay street video podcast as per usual bay street video is open from 10 a.m to 8 p.m every day yes sir yes sir and mark maybe if you whistle he will come (laughs) maybe i can't whistle though i can't whistle no yeah you can't whistle no i've never been able to have you tried blowing air in that's how i learned i could do it (laughs) and then you can blow air out practice I don't know. I just never, never could really do it easily and never really. Now I can't do it now that I'm under pressure. A little bit. A little bit. I remember I was whistling, blowing the air in, and a teacher's like, that's not real whistling while I was walking through the hallway. Oh, no. Uh, no, I have a complex <laughs> about it. All right. So uh, until next week, my name's Justin McClough. <laughs> I'm Mark Hansen. <laughs> keep on buying. And keep on renting. Movies that feature whistling. (laughs) These movies and many more are available at your local video store. Uh, Whistle and I Will Come For You. That's like a famous BBC ghost story, isn't it? It's like a horror thing. Yeah, something like that. Is there a movie called (laughs) The Whistlers? Wait, wasn't there the sequel that was about the spies? And it was a big... Oh, yeah. 2019. Is there whistling in the movie? I have not seen it. There is a movie called The Whistlers. There's a Romanian film called The Whistlers. Yes, it was Corneliu Porumboy. Isn't it the guy who did Police Police Agent? Agent. And the yeah, treasure. Yeah. Yeah. Rent that for all your whistling needs.